0: you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're so glad you're here today. Romans chapter 8. How many of you have had plenty of rain so far this year? Anybody? Did it rain in anybody's house beside mine this week? I hope everybody got through all the water and did well. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. I'm reading out of the NIV. It says this For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. This verse says that, leads us to believe that the children of God. How many of you are children of God? Been saved, born again? It says here that uh, you can expect to be, you should be, you should look forward to being led by God's Spirit. In other words, we shouldn't just be wandering without any direction. We can be led. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In fact, this verse leads us to believe that One of the signs of being a child of God is that we are led by His Spirit. In fact, people ought to look at our lives and say, how would that work out for you and it didn't work out for me? You say, because God led me in my decisions. And you're just out here wondering. So this morning I want to pose a question to each of us. And it's a very simple question. It's it's just who or what is leading you? Who or what is leading you? Or we could say it this way. Who or what is leading me? Let's make it real personal. Who or what is leading me? Uh, Who or what am I following? If somebody's leading us or something's leading us, then we're following something. Who or what am I following? Or here's a way to put it. Who or what has the most influence in my life? Uh, if you want to get real serious, we can put it like this: Who or what is my God? Who or what is my God? Where do I spend my attention, my time, my energy? Who or what is leading me? When I ask that question in a small group of men, uh, as I have over the last over some, times, when I meet with small groups of men. A man, a man, some man, will always respond with the testosterone answer. And that answer is this, nobody leading me. <clears throat> I am in control of my own life. And uh, to which I always respond with, um, yes, that's good, and, and that's something worth talking about. But what I really want to say is, sit down, be quiet, you idiot. You don't have a clue. But the truth is, I don't want to get beat up in Bible study, so I, I just respond with a kind affirmative, shake my head. <laughs> you see, whether we realize it or not, we are all following someone or something. We all are. We may deceive ourselves thinking we're independent, we're doing it our own way, but we're all followers. We're all followers. And listen, being a follower is not a bad thing. We're all followers. We're all being influenced by something. Something's pulling us. Every one of us, something's pulling us. Something's intentionally trying to guide us. Something's intentionally trying to make us come their way. Every one of us. Now, that's not a bad thing unless we're following the wrong person or the wrong thing. Because the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So sons of God, children of God, women of God, Youth of God should be led by His Spirit. We should be following Him. Every one of us are following something. For example, some people uh, follow money. That's what's leading them. Money. Money's leading them. Over and over, I encounter individuals who allow money to be their guide. Money is their motivation. They change jobs. They move to different cities. They uproot their families. They leave churches and relocate simply because somewhere else has offered them more money. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Who or what is leading us? Who are we following? And some people follow money. And that can be a dangerous thing. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Notice what Jesus says. Matthew 6, 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. Now, we, we'll read that and say that's true, that's wonderful, but understand the context of what he's talking about. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Mammon. Everybody say mammon. Amen. Now... That word mammon there, in the original language, literally means riches. You cannot serve God and riches. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and money. When we give allegiance to money, it demands that we follow it. The, uh, the spirit of mammon. Money has a spirit to it. Money has a spirit. People say, money doesn't have a spirit. Yes, money has a spirit. It's called mammon. The Bible calls it the spirit of mammon. It has a spirit to it. That's why people murder people for money. That's why people uh, break into people's cars and break into people's house because they've been grabbed by that spirit of mammon. They want something that doesn't belong to them. That's a spirit that... Pulls at them and makes them do that. Money has a spirit to it. And the spirit of mammon creates a craving in us that is never satisfied or content. When the spirit of mammon grabs hold of us, you're never satisfied with what you have. And you're never content with what you have. Yet the Bible tells us that uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But some people allow the spirit of mammon to p- pull them. Let me, give you some, let me give you some examples of what the spirit of mammon looks like. What it looks like. People who are being led by the spirit of mammon must have the most expensive and the latest designer. People who are led by the spirit of mammon must have the most expensive and the latest designer. Now understand something. Listen to me. Everybody listen to what I'm saying to you. There is nothing wrong or sinful about buying expensive or designer. There's no sin in expensive. There's no sin in designer. But if you have to have it to be satisfied and content, then you have been caught by the spirit of mammon. There's nothing wrong with it. I like it. I like it. But if I have to have it, if I must have it to be satisfied, if I must have it to be content, then I've been caught by the spirit of mammon. Here's another one. People who are being led by the spirit of mammon never have enough. They never have enough. I've watched businessmen and businesswomen who have more than enough. They have more than enough, but they are forfeiting their health. They're forfeiting their families and even friendships for more. They always want more. It's never enough. They want more. They've been trapped by the spirit of mammon. It's never enough. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing sinful about having property or houses, but if, it's, if you're not satisfied unless you have more, then the spirit of mammon has grabbed hold of you. Here's another one. People who are led by the spirit of mammon are unable to pursue God fully. People who are led by the spirit of mammon are unable to pursue God fully. Let me prove it to you. Let me give you some scriptures. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. We're talking about who are we following. Who or what is leading us? Who or what are we following? Who who or what has the most influence in our lives? Okay? Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. Jesus says it. No one can serve two masters. For either he will love the one or he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, let's go on down a few more verses. Verse 31. Verse 31. Notice what he says in verse 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Everybody say seek. Seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things Things shall be added to you. Now, notice Jesus doesn't condemn anyone for having things. He doesn't condemn us for having nice things. If you can afford nice things, wonderful. Praise God. Rejoice. Be glad. If you you can afford the most expensive car on the road, wonderful. I'm thrilled for you. God's blessings are upon you. If you can afford the most expensive house in the neighborhood, wonderful. If you can afford all the designer clothes, that's great. God's not against that. It's not a sin to have those things. It's a sin to seek it. To be dissatisfied unless you have it. Notice what he says. Verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all, after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need. Notice he says he knows you need these things. He knows you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. See, it's not about what you have. It's what's motivating our hearts to move forward. Because he says here, I'll give them to you. I'll give them to you. I'll give you all the things you desire. I will give them to you as long as you seek me. As long as your heart is after me and not the spirit of mammon. See, riches demand allegiance. If we're following riches, if we're following money, it demands our allegiance. Let me prove it to you. Look at Luke chapter 4. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. Man, I hope you brought your Bibles. Luke chapter 4, verse number 1. Look what it says. Then You know this story. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days by the devil. And those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Now, that's what it says here in the the New King James. The The original language says it this way, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that continues to proceed from God. Let me tell you something. Every day God's got a word for you. Every day God's got a word for you. He's got an on-time, present word for you. Have you ever just done your Bible study and then all of a sudden one day you just happen to be reading? You might be going through uh, uh, some type of uh, Bible study where you read through the Bible all year long and they give you so many chapters to read and they tell you what to read. But this day when you read, all of a sudden it seems like, pow, the Scriptures you read happened to hit you right where you were, right where you were living, right what you needed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you know that was designed 10 years ago. That Bible study was designed 10 years ago in another city and they don't have a clue who you are. But it seems like the day as you was following your reading plan, all of a sudden it hit right where you lived. It was like somebody put that in there just for you. See, there's always a present, on-time word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why it's important that we continually read our Bibles. We have a daily time with the Lord. Notice what it says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that continues to proceed from the mouth of God. This Bible is not just a historical book, although it is that. It's a fresh, ongoing, present, on-time word every day from God. Verse 5, verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Verse 6. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory. Notice he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, All the authority of all these kingdoms I will give you and their glory. In other words, their wealth. I will give you their wealth. I will give you the riches of the world. I will give it to you, for this has been delivered to me. Well, people say, I hear this, let me stop right there. People say, well, it wasn't the devils to give away. Oh, yeah, it was too. The Bible, well, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth was the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and he gave it to Adam. Adam, remember the Lord said to Adam, Adam, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, have dominion, have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, have dominion. Man, God says, it was mine, I'm handing it over to my man Adam. Adam fell, handed it over to Satan. And now Satan, this is the temptation, you say, well, it, it, it didn't belong to Satan. Well, if it didn't belong to Satan, then it would not have been a temptation to Jesus. The Bible says it's a temptation to Jesus. He was tempted 40 days of the devil. Isn't that what it says? So if it didn't belong to Satan, if the wealth of the world didn't belong to Satan, then it would not have been a temptation to Jesus. The temptation was this. I'll give you back what originally belonged to you if you will worship me. That's the temptation. See, riches demand allegiance. Riches, that's why Jesus said you cannot serve God and serve serve money. He's not saying you can't have money. He's just saying it cannot be the thing that leads you. It cannot be the thing that motivates you. I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me... All will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. See, the whole thing was, if you're serving mammon, you've got to worship it. And if you worship it, you will be divided and can't worship God. Turn with me to Luke 18. I can see this is exciting for you. So let me, uh, let's just dig a little deeper. Let me dig myself a little deeper hole here. Luke 18, verse 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. It's a good man. I mean, this is a real good man. This is a... uh, 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 A religious man. He's kept the law. He's a good man. He said, all these things I've kept from my youth. Verse 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful. For he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, these things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, when it comes to money, this is probably one of the verses or passages that is so misinterpreted by Christians. We get all squirrely when it comes to money concerning this passage. And if you read it real closely, Jesus wasn't asking the rich man to forsake his riches. He wasn't asking him to forsake his riches. It didn't say, give it all up. It never says that. It says he said to the rich man, sell what you have. See, he understood the rich man had done well. He had accumulated a lot of things of value. And he says, sell what you have. He didn't say give it all up. He didn't say give it all away. He said, sell what you have, distribute to the poor, and listen listen to what he says. Sell what you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Jesus is not asking him to forsake his riches and live in poverty the rest of his life. See, when I was growing up, I was taught that if you had anything, you must be a sinner. Because Christians shouldn't have anything. That's what I was taught. I even hear it today. I had a man in my neighborhood the other day. Uh, He saw, I have a Corvette. I've saved and saved for years. And I I bought me a a pre-owned Corvette. And I had it out in my driveway. And... uh, uh, some of you hunt, some of you fish, some of you do all kinds. I don't do anything like that. I just polish my Corvette. I don't even drive it much. I just look at it. You know, if you own a Corvette, you don't ride it, drive it much. You just talk about it all the time. Be at nine, 9 o'clock at night, I'll be bored and I'll get up out of the living room and I'll go out in the garage and just turn the light on and look at it. I finally got me one. Hallelujah. And uh, so I was, I was polishing the wheels, and a guy three doors down came up, walked up. He said, you got you a Corvette? I can't believe a preacher would have a Corvette. He said, preacher's making that kind of money. I said, I, I've heard it all my life. I've said, well, good preach, good pay. Yeah. Bad preach, bad pay. What's your pastor drive? You know, I was taught, and people believe that you're not supposed to have anything if you serve Jesus. And they quote this verse of scripture. They quote this one: "Sell all you have, give it away, and be a pauper." Of the rest. That's not what he says. Read what he says. He says, what you have is of great value. Let's invest it so you'll have more, is literally what he's saying. He says, sell what you have, sow it into the poor, and then notice what he says. He says, and you will have treasure in heaven. So listen to what he says, and come follow me. Jesus says, if you will not seek stuff, if you will seek him... He literally told this man, if you'll sell what you have, distribute to the poor, you can come follow me. Did you know Jesus only asked 13 people? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he only asked 13 people to follow him. The 12 disciples and this man. How many times did Jesus heal somebody and they wanted to come and follow him? And he said, no, go back to your family. Go back to your city. Go back. See, only 13 people were invited personally by Jesus to follow him. Now, let me ask you a question. Of these 13, there's 12 of them that we still talk about 2,000 years later. One of them, this rich young ruler who was invited to follow Jesus but chose to follow riches instead of Jesus, his riches are gone, his wealth is gone, and nobody ever remembers him other than in the negative. See, Jesus is not saying, listen, to follow me you got to give it all up and be a pauper the rest of your life. Jesus says, if you will follow me, I will take you on an adventure that will last you a lifetime and longer. And then notice what he says. He, he offers him three. He's not saying give away your stuff and be a pauper. Because I'm against things. He's not saying that at all. He says, if you'll sell what you have, distribute the money to the poor. He says, you'll have an opportunity to be with me, one of the, one of the inner circle with me. And then he says, you'll have treasure in heaven. <laughs> now, we're all going to get some stuff when we get there. We're all going to get the crown of righteousness because we're born again and we're saved. And we're going to give account of things we've done in our body, whether good or bad. So there'll be rewards for that. But this guy is offered something beyond the natural. In fact, the Bible says of the 12 disciples, and he would have been included, he'd have been one of them as well, the Bible says that the foundations of heaven are named after them. Think about that. Heavens. you got your name on heaven's wall if you'd have been that. Jesus is not asking him to give up and live a pauper and to live out and die where people don't know you. He's saying, if you'll do what I tell you to do and not seek wealth, I promise you, I'll give you so much more that will last for eternity. It'll blow you away. And then notice what he says. He says, I'm not asking you to live a pauper in this life. Notice what he says in this verse. He says, verse number uh, uh, 29, verse 28. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. He said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this world present time nowhere does it say that Jesus wants a christian to be poor and a pauper and not have anything because having stuff is sinful it does not say that it says if you if things have you that's when it becomes sinful not if you have things if things have you see some people follow money it's the influence that pulls them it's what they're craving Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 9. Notice what it says. I like the passion translation. Listen to what it says. But those who crave, crave, it's what they seek, the wealth of this world, slip into spiritual snares. They become trapped by the troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires, driven by greed, and drowning in their own sinful pleasures. And they take others down with them into their corruption and eventual destruction. Verse 10, loving money is the first step toward all kinds of trouble. He didn't say money was. He said loving money is the first step to all kinds of trouble. Some people, notice, run after it. They are chasing it. They're pursuing it. It's what's leading them. It's pulling them. They are following money. Some people run after it so much that they've given up their faith. Why? Because you can't serve both. Craving more money pushes them away from the faith into error, compounding misery in their life. Verse 11, Timothy, you are God's man, so run away from that. Instead chase, follow true holiness justice, faithfulness, love, hope and tender humility what is who or what is leading you who or what is leading me what ingredient has the most influence in my life some people follow money here's another one some people follow the approval of man they want to be popular they want to get along with everybody. And listen, when you follow God, you're not going to get along with everybody. Not everybody's going to agree with you. I promise you. Not everybody's going to. And you can't follow anybody and everybody. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Oh, I hope you brought your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king. Samuel, the prophet, said to Saul, the king, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek, and destroy all that they have done. And do not spare them, but but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now let me ask you a question. This is hard. This is hard. Why in the world would God order the genocide of the Amalekites? God wanted the whole nation eradicated. That doesn't sound like the God we serve. That doesn't sound like the God we serve. Yet God says, I want you to wipe them out. I want every man killed. I want every woman killed. I want every child killed. I want all their animals killed and their possessions destroyed. That doesn't sound like a loving, caring, kind God. But you have to remember, this is written during a time when the gospel has not come to the world. We forget that we live in a world that has been touched In part, with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and made peace with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus Christ came and broke down the wall of hostility between God and man. And you have to understand, they didn't have that. They didn't have that. In fact, today, in fact today, if you go to nations of the world where the gospel has not penetrated the violence and the sin and the debauchery and the, the torment that goes on, it would blow our minds if we knew it all. But we in America live in a nation that's been touched by the gospel and we understand peace and forgiveness and love. But that wasn't the scenario. We have to understand this. The Canaanites, he also said the same thing to the Canaanites, take them boys out. The Canaanites engaged in human sacrifices. They even offered their children to devil gods. The Amalekites were a constant threat to the nation of Israel. Shortly after the Israelites left Egypt, the Amalekites attacked the weary people, slaughtering the weak and the elderly. As the million uh, Israelites left Egypt, remember the plagues of Egypt? And the Israelites left, the Amalekites were laying in ambush, and when the weak and the elderly and the children came by, they killed them. They killed them. They wouldn't attack the army of Israel. They waited for the scragglers, the weak, the elderly, and the children that couldn't keep up with the pack. They waited for them and destroyed them. And that made God angry. And he said, because you destroyed and you afflicted the weak and the elderly and the children, I'm taking you out. The Amalekites and the Canaanites practiced child burning. They tortured people as public entertainment. And sexual immorality was rampant. The influence of these nations left unchecked would ultimately lead to the death of many more innocent people, more than their demise. So God says it's time to take them out. Hard lesson to, for us to understand, but that was the moment of that day. First Samuel 15, verse 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them, And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley, verse 5. Verse 6, notice this. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. There was a group called the Kenites. And when the children of Israel came up, the Kenites, they helped them. And God remembered that. And God didn't destroy them. But the Amalekites, they picked on the weak and the elderly and God remembered them and he said, take them out. And then we pick it up in verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agai, king of Amalekite, alive and destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agai, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them. Unwilling to destroy them. Remember, even though God said to. But everything despised and worthless That they destroyed. Verse 10, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried to the Lord all night. Verse 12, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. Indeed, he set up a monument for himself. Notice what Saul did. He didn't set up a monument for God. He set up a monument for himself. And he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, When he saw the prophet coming, he said to him, He said, Blessed are you, I have followed the commandments of the Lord. And the prophet said, No, you didn't. I hear the sheep that you were supposed to destroy. I hear the oxen that you were supposed to get rid of. You haven't done what God said to do. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. They have brought them. They have brought them. They did it. For the people, the people, the people, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest, the rest, we. We have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, "Be quiet, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Listen, you never want to lie to a prophet. You never want to lie to a prophet. They know everything, or whatever the Lord leads them to know. They know it. And, they, and the Lord tells them a lot. I remember Brother Hagin was a prophet, and every time I'd go to meet with him, or we'd get around him, I'd, man, I'd repent. If I knew it, I was getting ready, I'd repent all night long. I wouldn't sleep. I repented of everything I ever did, everything I ever thought. If Amanda was going to be with me, I said, are you clean? Have you repented? You I don't want the prophet mad at me. If you've done something, I know you and your sisters, they're a pretty wild bunch. Have you? Is, it, is it under the blood? Is it under the blood? You Church of Christ girls, it wasn't sin, but the prophet has said, is it under the blood? Verse 17, so Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not heads of the tribe of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agai, king of Amalek. And I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, the people, took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which you should have been utterly destroyed. To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Verse 22. So Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To, be, if better, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. See, some people follow people. Some people allow people to motivate them and their opinions to motivate them. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with thee, that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you, David. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. Verse 30. Then Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Some people follow money. Some people follow the approval of man. God had told Saul, the king, this is what I want you to do. Saul feared the approval of man. He he feared the opinions of man. Especially when all the good stuff, the people didn't mind getting rid of the army of Amalek. They just didn't want, they wanted their goods. They wanted their riches. And God said, I want you to destroy that also. The people wanted that. Instead of Saul being the man of God and saying, no, the Lord said get rid of it. He feared the opinion of man. And he disobeyed God. And then the Bible says after he admitted he had sinned, he so feared and wanted to keep his reputation intact with people that he said to the prophet, go worship with me. And the prophet Samuel said, I'm not going with you. The anointing has lifted off your life. I'm not going. God has rejected with you. And and Saul says, please go with me. Honor me so that the people will still see me and you are friends. He feared the opinions of man. Do You see, some people allow others' opinions to dictate their direction and destiny in life. And that's not new. That wasn't just an Old Testament concept. For example, turn with me real quickly to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 42. Notice what it says. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Many believed in Jesus. The rulers of the synagogue, many believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. I can't tell you the number of times people have called me, Pastor Eddie, would you pray? My son's dying. My wife's dying. My husband's dying. Would you pray? We don't go to a church that believes in healing. Would you pray? I said, Well, you need to get over here. No, no, no. If I get over there, my family'll disown me. They'll set in a church that don't believe in anything because they're fearful of man's opinions. And then they'll call us secretly and want us to intercede to God on their behalf. Seeing it. Being raised Pentecostal, I've seen, well, I'm not going over there with those tongue talkers. I, oh, man, they'll laugh at me at work. If they find out I go to church over there, they'll laugh at me. Hey, if I go over there, I won't get elected. I need to go to a big church where everything's cool and cozy and where it's popular. That's where I'm going to church, where it's cool and cozy and popular, because I, I want to get elected. I need the, see, they, they're seeking the approval of man. They're seeking the approval of man. Some people follow money. Some people follow the approval of men. What's leading you? Who are you following? And finally, some people follow friends whose relationship with Christ is not healthy or non-existent. Psalm 1 verse 1. Psalm 1 verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not. Oh, the joys, the Lord says, of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My child, if sinners entice you, turn your back on them. My child, don't go along with them. Stay far away from their path. He's not talking about not being a witness. He's talking about letting them lead you into the things they're doing. Because every one of us are following something or someone. Next week, I'm going to talk to you. Some people follow money. Some people follow the approval of men. Some people follow their non-Christian friends and relationships. But God wants to lead you. As your children, God wants to be the one to lead you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Here's a verse you remember. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk, Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why? Because he is my shepherd and he leads me. Who are you following? Who has the most influence in your life? What thing is leading you?